Welcome in. Good to have you. We have a lot to do today. And yes, we start with the brutality in Israel, the brutality in the Gaza Strip. As Israeli leaders say, they have retaken control of all the communities around the Gaza Strip. Just two days after Hamas launched a surprise attack on the Jewish state where more than now we can report 900 people were killed. Now, according to authorities, Hamas, the governing body of Gaza, is holding more than 100 people, including women and children, hostage. As of just moments ago, a a spokesperson for the armed wing of Hamas said that civilian hostages will be executed and the killings will be broadcasted if Israeli targets people in Gaza without warning. They say we declare that we will respond to any targeting of our people who are safe in their homes without warning with the execution of our civilian hostages and we will broadcast it with audio and video. Meanwhile, Hamas launching attacks at a music festival in Israel where some 250 people were killed. Hamas is considered a terrorist organization by the U.S. government. Hamas was started by someone as a member of the Muslim Brotherhood with the, the, the distinct goal in mind to eliminate Jewish people from the region, retake the Holy Land, and, and make it an Arab state. Meanwhile, in a counteroffensive, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the Israeli Ministry of Defense, they have ordered a, quote, complete siege of Gaza, which sits between Egypt, the Mediterranean, and Israel, cutting off electricity, food, fuel, water. And after formally declaring war on Hamas yesterday, Israel has been pummeling Gaza with airstrikes. Gaza's health ministry says more than 550 Palestinians have died. Medical care has been compromised because they've cut off necessary utilities like power. Gaza, by the way, is only about about three times the size of Houston. All the while, Americans traveling in the region left scrambling to get home. The State Department says that nine Americans were caught in the crossfire and killed. Even Detroit Lions linebacker Alex Anzalone says his parents are part of a group of 53 Americans trapped in Israel. Meanwhile, you've got Israeli soldiers battling Hamas militants in southern Israel. Soldiers on the north side of the country that borders Lebanon exchanging fire with Hezbollah. Launching rockets from from Lebanon. Some communities along the Lebanese border are being urged to evacuate. All the while, you've got Netanyahu saying that Israel will be engaged in a long and difficult war on their way to destroying Hamas. Also, this hour, the EU Commission has suspended all Palestinian funding until further notice. They say the scale of terror and brutality against Israel and its people is at a turning point. As the biggest donor for the Palestinians, the European Commission is putting its full development portfolio under review, which is worth about $728 million. 
and that includes payments being suspended immediately. All projects are being suspended and put under review. All new budget proposals for this year going into next year have been postponed. Foundations for peace, tolerance, and coexistence must now be addressed according to the EU Commission. Incitement of hatred, violence, and glorification of terror have poisoned the minds of too many. We need action, and we need it now. So that's the latest. If you'd like to weigh in, 800-859-0957. I do want to throw a couple more things into the mix because they are also very, very important locally. Day 25 of the UAW strike, the big three. Interesting development in the tentative agreement with Mack Trucks. There was a tentative agreement struck between the UAW and Mack, but it received a 73% no vote. So now Mack workers are joining the picket lines. It, uh, workers, Most workers would have received a 19% wage increase over five years, including immediate 10% raise upon ratification. Also included $3,500 in ratification bonuses, contributions, uh, top wages up to five years, and even the Unifor deal that we have been talking about up in Canada with Ford only passed with the 54% of the vote. So very, very interesting. In the meantime, uh, WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne joins us uh, with a local uh, angle to this uh, horrific situation unfolding in in Israel. Uh, Marie, I understand you caught up with a local rabbi. I did. Rabbi Jennifer Kaluzny of Temple Israel in West Bloomfield has had a very busy weekend, Chris, as you can well imagine. Thousands of people with ties to Israel continue to pray and worry about their loved ones who are in harm's way. And we have been doing our best to check in on congregants that we know have family in Israel that we know have teens who are there alone studying in Israel. And um, we've also been in touch with counselors and teens and tour guides that we've created relationships with over decades. Now, Rabbi Kaluzny says so far all family and friends are safe. During this type of crisis, she says her job is pretty clear. But one of the most important things that I do in my entire rabbinet is listen. I listen to people's concerns. I do the best I can to answer questions. And we offer them comfort. And she says right now the Jewish community in Metro Detroit has a clear uh, mission. So this is the time when the Jewish community comes together. And just like every other community, we stand strong. We stand as one with one voice. And so I asked her what's in her heart right now. And I pray that there's a quick end to this conflict, to the bloodshed, to the horrors that we are seeing, and that from this conflict we can figure out a way to find a lasting peace in Israel. Chris, at 7 o'clock tonight, there will be a rally at Sherazedek, Temple Sherazedek in Southfield, again at 7 o'clock. If anyone would like to assist in relief efforts, the rabbi says you can go to the Jewish Federation of Metro Detroit.com, JFMG.com, mm. for more information.
Uh, Marie, did 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 she mention if uh, members of the congregation there had had family in that region? What was she hearing from people? So, yes, she said there were people who had, um, you know, students who were studying abroad and so forth. Mm-hmm. But she says so far and, and the, and the, and the uh, temple, by the way, used their connections to reach out to people in Israel so that they could get more information. They were very helpful in that regard. And so far, nobody has been injured or killed in this event. Uh, but she says they're keeping a very, very close eye on us. Mm, uh, good stuff. Uh, Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. On the other side, I want to take a look at the ramifications of this UAW strike as it pertains to suppliers. And if you want to weigh in on the situation unfolding and evolving in, in Israel, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. We'll get to your calls and your text coming up here on JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. Good to have you. Lots to do today. And as we continue to talk about the UAW strike with the big three, it's not just the OEMs and the rank and file that are impacted here. You've got a whole system of suppliers that are feeling the the pinch as these negotiations, as the picket lines continue on into, well, we're getting into mid-October here. Julie Frame is the president and CEO of uh, MEMA, uh, of course, uh, one of the uh, important groups that represent a whole lot of suppliers, and she joins us. Julie, it's great to have you. Thank you for having me on this afternoon. Uh, talk to me a little bit about where the suppliers are at and, and where they fit into this, because obviously the rank and file of the UAW are looking for higher wages. They're looking for more from the UAW or from, from the, the OEMs. And the OEMs, some most of them have lines of credit because they, they are worried that this is going to continue to linger on. What does that mean for suppliers that you represent? Well, you highlighted it at the beginning. Um, this is a whole value chain of uh, companies that work to ultimately uh, get the OEMs the parts so they can build the cars. And we are quite concerned as this strike continues that we will see more layoffs occurring across the supply base. Now, this past week, they, uh, the UAW did not add any other facilities to the strike. So I'm hoping we're going to see a little bit of a leveling off in our next survey that, uh, that we're conducting right now. But we still see about 30% of the suppliers have laid off at least some employees, and that number's increasing. In terms of of this particular strike, and, and we have not seen the union strike all three companies simultaneously. We remember even going back to to the, the strike against General Motors where it lasted 40 days. And, and I'm sure that hurt a lot of suppliers. But when you're targeting specific companies at, at, at really unknown times because of the way the UAW has structured this strike, does that put... Uh, an emphasis on suppliers to also be on their toes as well? Yes, for sure. The suppliers don't necessarily, uh, you know, they don't have a good feel, first of all, for what might come next. And so any contingency planning that they might be doing is, um, you know, it's all dependent on what might come next, and they don't know. So that makes it very difficult for them to plan 
Um, secondly, um, we are very worried that as these sort of random layoffs occur, that the ability to retain the workforce um, and then to get them to come back to work uh, is going to be extremely challenging uh, for the suppliers. Um, this is such an important point for um, the supply side. It's so different than the UAW. And so um, we don't want people to lose sight of the fact that we have workforce challenges and getting those workers to come back to work could be a challenge. Julie Freem with the Motor and Equipment Manufacturers Association joins us. Julie, you, you, you talked about the 30-some percent of suppliers that have already needed to lay lay employees off as a result of the strike. The, the, the expectations mm-hmm. is you're going to get up to 50, 60, maybe even 70 percent more saying that, that they're can having to really consider these layoffs as well as as this strike prolongs. But what other issues are you seeing? You talked a little bit about the supply, but but even issues with, say, the southern border. Um, what what issues are you seeing there? Oh, uh, yeah, the, certainly the issues with the southern uh, border um, in Texas are creating further hampering to the overall supply chain. Um, we are seeing uh, and hearing from our suppliers that it's taking roughly 24 more hours um, to get uh, goods across uh, the border. They're having to look at perhaps moving from one uh, border ent- point of entry to another to get those goods across. Um, so creating those bottlenecks in the midst of everything else, simply just puts more strain on the overall supply chain. It also adds cost at a time when we're in the process of trying to manage costs because the volume is down. So it's, uh, it creates a lot of difficulty. Eventually, once we get to a deal and, and, and a contract is ratified and everybody gets back to work um, at, at, a, at 100% capacity, does that put more strain on on auto suppliers as well? I mean, I, I have to imagine now, um, you know, you continue to to facilitate the needs of 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 facilities that need them, that need the the specific parts that your suppliers supply. But at the same time, once that once that bubble bursts, I guess, and and that those those floodwaters come rushing in, um, does that put more of a, a strain on suppliers, especially if those um, uh, those companies that have needed to, to lay people off uh, as these these strikes have prolonged, what what kind of stress does it put on them once everything gets back to, to fully operational status? Great question. And we see this stress uh, in two ways. First of all, um, suppliers cannot uh, perform an instantaneous startup. So um, there will be a ramp up of suppliers and A number of our suppliers have told us they need um, over one week uh, to make that ramp up happen um, because they have to get their product from their suppliers who are shut down. So it's a, you know, it's a cascading effect throughout the entire value chain. So there's a lot of stress that will happen there. In the meantime, we're trying to get those workers back and make sure we're fully staffed at the supplier facilities. So that's a difficulty. And then as you indicated, 
The OEMs will turn on the spigot. They will want to produce as many vehicles as they can. So if we have labor challenges and or supply chain challenges during that time, it's going to create um, a lot of difficulty for suppliers to be able to support the OEMs. I'm just curious, and, and I, I, I don't know the answer to this, which is why I'm asking, but in terms of of the 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 desire to then get back into the space people that were laid off companies are going to be looking to hire again as as that spigot gets turned back on but is there is there ever that worry from a supplier's perspective that they're not going to have the bodies needed to fill it even after they had to take the mitigating you know uh impacts and and the necessary steps of laying people off to support the business is there ever a worry that maybe there aren't going to be enough people on the other side Yes, there is a tremendous amount of worry. In our most recent survey, um, we saw a number of suppliers commenting that's their biggest concern is that they won't have the workforce to come back to work after this is all over. And so, what are you what what are you telling suppliers if they're coming to 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 Mima and asking for some sort of guidance or? support or whatever the questions are what, what what's the what's the prevailing message in in the efforts to weather the storm well the first thing we told suppliers even before the actual strike began was uh to start doing some contingency planning both from a financial perspective working with their banks working with their lenders to ensure that they had whatever lines of credit they needed or perhaps some um ability to uh, set aside covenants on whatever loans they have for Mm -hmm. a period of time. So that was really important that uh, the suppliers did some early planning. We've also uh, been working uh, in Washington, D.C. with the White House administration, asking them to see if they could put together some small business, low interest rate uh, loans, or even some uh, forgivable loans that could help tide some of these. And real quick, real quick, over. has there been any appetite for that, do you think? We are still in those okay. discussions. Good. Uh, Julie Frame, it's good to talk with you. Stay in touch. I've got a lot of other questions. We're up against it. Uh, but uh, certainly the best of the suppliers as we have uh, uh, obviously some tough times ahead. Got to take a break. So we we do know that Iran gave the green light to Hamas to carry out these attacks. Now, there was a lot made in the in the immediate aftermath this weekend when it became apparent what was happening. And one of the prevailing thoughts was that the United States unfroze six billion dollars. To Iran. In the effort to extract those American hostages, which was done. The United States has said that that money was for humanitarian aid and only certain amounts have been unlocked. So they say that that money had nothing to do with these attacks. There was no way that money could have been used to funnel these these weapons, the munitions, everything that would have been used in these attacks. To which I would say, well, money's money. If the Iranian government is is seeing money that's being unfrozen from these international banks used for humanitarian aid, well, then they'll use that money for humanitarian aid, which frees up other money for other things. 
So to me, it's a, it's a bit of a straw man argument from the White House. Meanwhile, you've got Latin American, a Latin American governments sending evacuation flights. Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez said that his government is sending two planes to evacuate 300 American citizens. Brazil sending two flights, one from Rome and another uh, that is scheduled to leave today. Um, 1,700 Brazilians are in Israel. Most of them are tourists. Argentina is sending airplanes to extract their folks from the region. I I guess I would have liked to have seen the White House act a little more briefly, uh, briskly. We, We have not seen that the United States is sending planes to help get our folks out. Alex Anceloni, the Lions linebacker, his parents are there as part of a trip. Um, and so while the United States and President Biden is saying all the right things, we, we, we are, I think, underselling what should still be done. And yes, the USS Gerald Ford is on its way to the Mediterranean to provide support to to the Israeli fighters. But I think some more still needs to be done. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Brett, uh, Brett is in Pontiac. He kicks, kicks us off today. Hello, Brett. Hello, Chris. Thank you for taking my you call. You got it. I appreciate you holding. No problem. Um, listen, I stand with the people of Israel and the Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. I do not stand with um, the Biden administration. I think they are sending warplanes and warships over there to pressure uh, the Israeli government into not going overboard because they said after World War II, never again. And you better believe them. Yeah. Well, Brett, obviously, here's the thing is I'm not going to tell you I'm a I'm an expert on this. Um, I think very few people actually are experts on what's happening there. Um, I think there's a, a lot of little things that are being done that that we just don't know about, don't understand. And in this case, in this in this fight that has been going on for decades and decades over, you know, these are religious lands. And these fights are so complex. These these arguments are so complex. But what isn't complex is the designation of Hamas being a terrorist organization. What isn't complex is the roots of Hamas wanting to drive the Israeli people out of the region. What isn't complex is the the backstory of Hamas and the people that created Hamas being a part of the Muslim Brotherhood and, and wanting to make this a, an, a, an entire Arab state. Um, and so you've got people on both sides of the aisle saying that we belong. You've got the Israelis saying that we belong. You've got the, the Palestinians saying that we belong. And so this is not me designating Hamas as a terrorist organization. That's the United States government. And so 
it's it's this is a very delicate matter. But but you now have innocent people being killed. You now have people attending a music festival that has nothing to do with any of this. Dead. You've got people living in their homes, minding their own business, dead, targeted, captured. And 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 look, you want to fight amongst each other. You want to hit military bases. You want to attack soldiers. That's one thing. But when you start going into neighborhoods, when you start going into people's homes and you start taking people, ripping people out of their livelihood, it's a it's a completely other thing. 800-859-0957. Ken is in Brighton. Hello, Ken. Hey, Chris. Great show as usual. Thank you. Um, I, I, two things. Uh, one, um, just to comment on the, on the $6 billion, give or take, uh, that they uh, released, uh, our government released. Everybody says, oh, no, that's not, that's supposed to be used for, for humanitarian. Well, guess what? It probably will be. But also, guess what? The money they're now using for humanitarian things over in Iran, they now will use to support the war against Israel. Right. That's the first comment. Correct. The second one is, my comment is that this this is, I don't want to get all religious on you, but this is a bar fight of big, biblical proportions that yeah. has just started. And I, I really hope they stop it before it gets way out of hand. Someone is going to get happy, trigger happy with an A-bomb, and that's, maybe that's all over after that. So, um, I hope it doesn't. I really don't. I hope it doesn't. But uh, look, I can always listen to your show. Yeah, thank you, Ken. I appreciate you, bud. I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I um the 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 notion that this is a, a bar fight of biblical proportions. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. And the the notion that innocent people are being hurt, innocent people are being killed. Look, there are there are innocent innocent. Palestinians that are being bombarded right now, just like there were innocent people. I mean, people at a music festival being picked off. I, it is, it is, it is, it is unbelievable. Benjamin Netanyahu speaking. Let's dip into this. Ground operation in Gaza. We have to go in," said the Israeli leader. Uh, he says the um, he told Biden that Israel that's our Fox no News coverage. He is is just spoke moments ago. And as Fox News recaps that, we will give you an opportunity to to understand what what he said. But Benjamin Netanyahu saying that this is a war that they're in it for the long haul and they must destroy Hamas. They must destroy Hamas. And that is a prevailing message coming from Benjamin Netanyahu uh, in light of the attacks in in Israel, he will have uh, an English portion of his speech, so we will continue to to monitor that. Um, in the meantime, do you want me to? Uh, I'll tell you what. We'll take a quick break. Uh, come back for more. We we have a lot to do today. Uh, you're listening to JR Afternoon on WJ. All right, welcome back, JR Afternoon. Chris Renwick here. Good to have you. Um, lots to do as we continue to talk around uh, talk about the developments. In Israel, among soldiers there and, and in Gaza, uh, also talking about the UAW today. And, and of course, as we are in this early part of the school year, 
we, we have seen Michigan at the bottom end of a lot of really important issues, whether it's student test scores or, or even keeping and retaining teachers, because we have seen a teacher shortage here in the state of Michigan, much like other states around the country. But it has impacted our school systems all across the state. Uh, Robert McCann is with the K-12 Alliance of Michigan, and he joins us. Robert, good to have you. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, There are a lot of issues that I think uh, need to be discussed as we sit here in in the early portion of the 2023 school year, Um, including the ability to, to foster and retain and keep really good teachers here in the state of Michigan. We have seen teacher shortages all across the country, but... The Michigan legislature earlier this year did approve six hundred and sixty six or excuse me, sixty six million dollars in funding um, in a way to uh, try to keep and maintain and retain and foster teachers here in the state of Michigan. Is that money uh, in 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 the works now? Um, And how are we making progress on that front? Yeah, you know, we're really at the tail end here of about two to three decades of underinvestment in the teaching profession in Michigan. And the result of that is that we've had far more teachers leaving the system than we've had younger teachers looking to get into it. And the result now is that we are short on teachers, to put it very bluntly. Every school district in the state opened their doors in the last month or two, scrambling to find anybody to fill some of these positions, all the way from teachers to support staff to reading coaches, you name it. And so, yeah, the legislature at, you know, the request of us and many others has started to take this problem seriously, putting some money and resources into programs that are not only going to try to keep teachers in the system a little bit longer, but also start creating some incentives for people to get into the profession again. Unfortunately, it's going to take a few years to really take effect. And in those few, in those few years, we're still going to be scrambling to fill some of these positions. But we are appreciative that at least we're acknowledging this crisis that we're in right now and taking some steps to address it. And maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, that seems like the overarching issue. A lack of teachers begets uh, a, a better learning in schools, better teaching being done in schools, which in turn, turn proves in uh, shows lower test scores, which means you've got larger classes and less teachers. I mean, is that the overarching issue in our education system in the state of Michigan? Yeah, absolutely. We know that students learn best when they're given one-on-one support as much as possible by invested teachers, teachers that are 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 you know that are experienced and are are putting in the time and effort to ensure that their kids are succeeding. So, the more we can do to lower class sizes, to give kids that individual support, and most importantly, to ensure that there is a qualified, experienced teacher in that classroom, we know that that leads directly to student achievement and success. And so the more we can be doing to invest in those very specific things inside of our schools, the more we're doing to help our students right now. So the consortium, uh, which is getting this money, it's titled Talent Together. It's a partnership of 48 ISDs across the state of Michigan, 63 counties. Um, and it's part of the, the school aid budget for, for 2024. How does that money get spent? Is it is it just a, a pay increase for teachers? Is it more money being made available to school districts so they can hire additional teachers? How, how does that money get spent? It's really a, a variety of different things. But at, at its core, it's trying to invest in people inside of our classrooms and turn them into teachers. So if you have people that are working inside of school buildings as parapros, as uh, support staff, things like that. It helps support them 
to become teachers. So it gets them through the process, through their teaching program, gives them the experience that they need uh, to get invested in the profession. So it's taking the talent that we have and giving them the investment to become long-term teaching support. It, it, there's a number of other things it does. Uh, yes, we are supportive of better pay for teachers because we know that's sure. an important factor in people choosing to get into the programs. And yes, we support better benefits and all these other things. But the most important thing we could do is, you know, particularly these younger people in our buildings that are wondering if teaching is the right career for them. Let's give them the support and the tools that they need to get their teaching certificate, get whatever the education they need to become that invested long-term teacher inside of our classroom. I don't I don't mean this to sound like we haven't been, but how do we further tap into our resources here in Michigan, like Michigan State University, like Eastern mm-hmm. Michigan University, that have some of the best teaching programs in the country? How, how do we further utilize them as a source to keep teachers here? Yeah, you know, our, our universities are going to play a critical role in addressing some of these shortages. One of the most mind-boggling things that our state previously had done was that when we had teachers going through or students going through the teaching programs at our universities, they were required to do a year of student teaching inside of a classroom. And during that that year, not only did they not get paid, but they had to pay the university to do their student teaching. So essentially they were paying to work for a year. It Mm -hmm. made no sense and it discouraged people from getting into the profession knowing that not only is the pay not going to be great once I'm done. I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the red already. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So uh, thankfully the legislature has changed that uh, in the last year. And now not only do they not have to pay, they get paid during their uh, student teaching program. That's a change that both we and the university supported we appreciated them working with us on that because they need to be partners with us to help fill the, these programs. Because you're right, Michigan State in particular has always been known uh, as one of the best teaching programs in the country. And their numbers have been going down and down in terms of, of of their own students getting into that program. And we need to do everything we can to give students the encouragement to get back into those programs. Well, and I think there's a couple of sectors that are non-negotiables, right? We, we need uh, first responders. We need Absolutely. doctors and nurses. And we need teachers, and and quite yep. frankly, we, we need them more than ever, um, because I think there is a bit of a black eye that Michigan has to wear. And that's our test scores are not good enough. They're not up to par and they're not up to par with a lot of other states across the country that are going to be really competitive in luring teachers away. One of the bills that are being banded about, I understand, in Lansing is a, a, a bill that would take away um, teacher evaluations and and test scores and they would separate them. That wasn't how it has always been traditionally here in the state of Michigan. What is this bill uh, that's being talked about in Lansing? Yeah, Michigan currently has a evaluation program for teachers that gr- essentially grades them every year. And there's always been some concern with it that we agree with that it, it, it it's not a very effective tool to actually measure teacher performance. A lot of it is based on standardized testing, which we have fundamental problems with the effectiveness and, and, the, and the reality of, of the scores of standardized testing but also the stigma uh, uh, a, an evaluation like that can create on the profession as a whole. We've been supportive of changes, but frankly, the, the bills as they exist right now are a little bit concerning to us because uh, they make some pretty big changes in terms of things like discipline and background checks on teachers, which really have nothing to do with evaluations. And yet there's language in these bills that that says that if a teacher is disciplined at one school district and then applies for a job at another, that first school district can't share certain information about their discipline with the new school district. And for people we're putting in classrooms with kids, we want to make sure we know everything about 
a potential employee that we're putting in there. So to, you know, put something in a law that would prevent us from having that kind of knowledge is kind of fundamentally goes against what we're trying to do in our schools of creating a safe, you know, uh, culture for, for our kids. So we, we've expressed some pretty serious concerns about this legislation. We're supportive of making changes to the evaluation law, but not at the expense of, of student safety, to be sure. What's the timeline for this? And, and is there is there bipartisan support? Obviously, the Democrats are, are trying to push this through. Um, but is there is there any appetite for bipartisanship on this front? Have you seen? I think so. I, I think so. I, uh, there's a hearing in the Senate Education Committee on this bill tomorrow where they're going to take testimony from uh, from many, including us. Uh, okay. And, you know, we're hopeful that this is a bill that that we can come to an agreement on because we certainly don't want to oppose something that could be a good change for the sure. teaching profession. But as it exists, there's just some pretty serious concerns with the language as it is currently written. So we're hoping for uh, that this can be something that, that everyone can get on board with. Robert McCann with the Quake, K-12 Alliance of Michigan. Uh, thank you for your time. Look forward to talking with you again soon. All right, anytime. Thank you. Yep, we'll do it again uh, yeah. next week. Uh, 800-859-0957. Got to take a break. News coming up. More next on WJR. All right, welcome back. Three o'clock hour. Good to have you with us. Trying to get you caught up on what's happening in Israel, in Gaza, with with the escalation of this battle, of this war, this war that has been going on for decades. But it escalated this weekend when Hamas fighters entered Israel and gunned down now that we know 900 people killed. Authorities say Hamas is also holding 100 people hostage, roughly including women and children, to which they say, Hamas, that if Israel continues with these attacks without warning, that they will start executing these hostages. This is from a statement from uh, Hamas that Al Jazeera got a hold of. We declare that we will respond to any targeting of our people who are safe in their homes without warning with the execution of our civilian hostages. We will broadcast it with audio and video. More than 100 people, including an Israeli army officer, were taken. Meanwhile, you've got Qatar in talks with Hamas about the hostages, uh, presumably to release them, but that has not that has not come to fruition. Hamas is considered, as a reminder, a terrorist organization by the U.S. government. Meanwhile, the counteroffensive that Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has described as a complete siege of Gaza is underway. Gaza sits between Egypt, the Mediterranean, and Israel, and the Israelis have cut off electricity, food, fuel, and water to the Gaza Strip. Israel has also formally declared war on Hamas. They've been pummeling the Gaza Strip with airstrikes. And Gaza's health ministry says more than 550 Palestinians have died, although that number is expected to to rise. And meanwhile, the innocent are, in this case, the targets. You've got Americans traveling in the region. They're left scrambling to get home. 
The State Department says that nine Americans have been killed. You've got Detroit Lions linebacker Alex Anzalone after a big win yesterday at Ford Field saying that his parents are part of a group of 53 Americans trapped in Israel as part of a trip. And while Israeli soldiers are battling Hamas in the south part of the country, up north, fires are exchanging munitions with Hezbollah militants in Lebanon. And some Israeli communities along that part of the country are being urged to evacuate. And Benjamin Netanyahu all the while says that this is going to be a long, engaging war, a difficult war uh, on their way to destroying Hamas. And, And getting out of Israel is proving very difficult. Many airlines halting travel to the country, although you do have some Latin American countries, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Colombia, uh, sending planes in to try to extract extract some of their people that are that have been stuck um in the meantime uh here at wjr uh somebody that used to work here has a very interesting connection and lives in tel aviv wjr senior news analyst marie osborne joins us with that part of the story hello marie Hello, Dr. Galit Benzur lives with her 11-year-old daughter in the city of Ramat Gan, Chris, that's near Tel Aviv. She says they awoke early Saturday morning to the sounds of emergency sirens. She says everyone ran for their shelters in terror. She says she and others are having trouble wrapping their minds around what's happened. And they just slaughtered people there. I mean, the numbers are crazy and I'm sure we are not being told exactly what is going on and the exact numbers. She says normalcy is just non-existent right now. We don't have school. The kids are locked at home. We were told, you know, to try to avoid because you are afraid to go outside. If you go outside and you have a siren, where would you run? She says in the midst of all this, Israelis are stepping up to help one another. People don't have a place to be. So we have hotels and you have good families who are hosting them. This is terrible, Marie. We, we, we've never had this thing before. It's even worse than Yom Kippur. It's our 9-11. She's referring to Yom Kippur War of 50 years ago in that cut. As for help from the U.S., she says they're grateful, but more needs to be done. The U.S., yeah, we saw the press conference and we saw President Biden and we know that America and the U.S. is the best ally. But still, the world needs to know about these horrors. We, we have never, and, and this is a terrorist movement with whom we are supposed to have any negotiations. She teaches, by the way, Galit teaches as Bar Elan and Open University. Uh, Dr. Benzur was an intern with us here at WJR 20 years ago, mm. Chris. It's unbelievable. And, and when you get those firsthand accounts, and, and look, e- even in... In the area around Tel Aviv now, in the northern part of the country, they're getting they're getting fire from Hezbollah. So so th- there are attacks on multiple fronts in Israel right now, and and I think Doctor there did a really nice job of 
of kind of concisely giving us an idea of what's happening there. But this is this is this is a much bigger attack than the one from Yom Kippur uh, many years ago, Marie. Absolutely. Uh, And you are right. She did say that the entire country is on high alert, even the Tel Aviv area, even though it's way to the north of where they saw this uh, assault over the weekend. Uh, but they, she says, oh, no, there's no rest. The, the, the sirens continue to go off. She says there are rockets uh, that are definitely in the air that could head to them at any moment. Mm. They are very much deeply concerned. Uh, thank you, Marie, for that, uh, that piece. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. I'd love to get your thoughts. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. And, and, and keep in mind, these are very precarious times for the United States. And, and, I, and I only mean to bring this back home a little bit here. So you've got this conflict going on now in, in Israel. You've got Russia and Ukraine. We've got some in Washington saying that more money needs to now be going to the Defense Department in an effort to aid Israel. Russia, Ukraine. In the next year, year and a half, two years, many military experts have have said that there is a better than not chance that China makes a move on Taiwan. And I think that this is going to this is going to test our resolve. This is going to test our our strength on the international stage. And it, it is a very precarious time, in my view, going forward in the next months, days, weeks, years ahead uh, in the near term in the United States of America. We got to take a break. We'll talk to Osama Siblani. He's the publisher of the Arab American News next here on JR Afternoon. All right. Good to have you back. Continue to following the... The events coming out of Israel at this hour. And we welcome in Osama Sablani. He's the publisher of the Arab American News. Osama, good to have you. Thank you for having me. What did you make of the news as it broke this weekend of of the events uh, unfolding in in Israel? Well, first of all, let me tell you that I I wasn't surprised about the flare up in, in, in the conflict because this conflict has been going on for 75 years. Sure. In Gaza and uh, in, in, in the Israeli um, dispute has been going on in the last 16 years, maybe four or five times. Mm-hmm. We've seen that 2021, 2014, 2008, and 2002. Uh, uh, we've seen it. Now it's getting bigger and it's getting harsher and more people are dying on both sides. And that is the unfortunate thing, because I believe that that the only way that we can prevent this from happening, not by using lethal weapon and, and, you know, destroying Gaza or attacking Israel, it's by finding a solution to the occupation. Everybody, the international, even the United States, agree that there is an occupation against Palestinians by the Israelis. We need to end the occupation. We need to find, like 30 years ago, I was privy to a meeting in the White House on September 13, 1993, during the Clinton administration, where the Oslo Accord was was signed. And I was there in the White House. I was sitting behind George Shultz, Secretary of State George Shultz at that time. Mm -hmm. And 
At that time, Ishaq Rabin, the Prime Minister of Israel, and Yash Arafat, the leader of the PLO, shook hands, and they, they, they recognized each other's problem. And at that time, we should have started looking for a solution, a permanent solution to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. The United States leadership, or lack of leadership, made us go for 30 years without a solution. Now we are seeing the result of lack of action. And if we do not do something about it, we're going to see more of the same as we go on. So in your estimation, who, who, who bears the ultimate blame in this bloodshed? I think, I, you know, if you want my opinion, it's the American uh, foreign policy. It's the American administration, successive administration. Because they were supposed to broker the peace. Like I said, 30 years ago, in the White House, there was an agreement called the Oslo Accord. And the Oslo Accord was supposed to, for the Palestinians to recognize the state of Israel and the Palestinians to have their own state. So the two-state solution was supposed to be brokered by the United States and carried on by the United States. And the United States did not do the, the job. And, and, and since then, for 30 years, both leaders have been assassinated and killed, Yasser Arafat and, and Ishaq Rabin. And we have conflicts every two, three years flaring up. So do you think we're going we're gonna to end this conflict by killing each other? That's not going to happen. Yeah. Only we can end it by ending occupation. And that's what I've been saying all along. I, no one condones the killing of, of, of innocent on both sides. It's so sad to see right now, you know, like in the last three days, Israelis being killed and, and Palestinians being killed on both sides. That is not going to end the, situ- in the, in the conflict. That's going to fuel the conflict for the future. We have seen this happening in 2021, and now it's much harsher, much harder, and, and more people are being killed. So, so I think the only solution that I can see is for the United States to exercise its leadership before it's too late and find a solution. So if the, if the, if the United States didn't follow up on the Oslo Accord, wh- why, why, wasn't, why weren't Israeli leaders and Palestinian leaders able to, to pick up those pieces or pick up where this, the, the United States lacked? What what was it that they weren't able to come to to an agreement even after the Oslo Accord was signed? They, they were. The problem is we have leaders, you know, like, for example, the leader that came after Yasser Arafat, Mahmoud Abbas, he is not able to do anything. He is totally crippled by by the lack of, you know, like leadership, number one. And number two, the United States is not helping in, in brokering the peace. You know, somebody mm-hmm. has to come in on both sides and say, look, you know, we really need to sit down in here and find a solution. And the United States were absent, my, were absent from all of this. And, and I, I believe that they can play the role because, like I said, the, the agreement was signed and brokered by President Clinton at that time. Yes. And, and after that, no one, no one picked up the pieces. Osama Sablani with the Arab American News joins us. What do you make of the American response uh, to this uh, this this escalation in this war? Um, what, what did you make of what the president has, has said and the actions so far of the U.S. government? That, uh, it, it just it makes no sense whatsoever. We have our policy in the region has failed, not only in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. 
But in Iraq and Afghanistan, there, are, there is a total failure of our policy. We are paying right now for our losses overseas. We're, we're paying because we have lost respect in the world. We, have, we, we, are, we, are, we are on the decline because our leadership, no one is taking us serious. Look what happened in Afghanistan. Look what happened in Iraq. Look what happened in Libya. Look what happened in, 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 in what's happening in Syria. Look what's happening right now between the Israelis and the Palestinians. We don't need destroyers. We don't need aircraft carriers. We need leadership that can broker peace, bring people together. Look, the United States was, was trying to bring the Saudis with the Israelis. Fine. But the Saudis and the Israelis are not in a state of war. The Palestinians and the Israelis are a state of war. It doesn't matter if you bring the UAE, United Arab Emirates, to recognize Israel. That is not the issue. The issue is you need to have a solution to the core issue, which is the Palestinians have been occupied for 75 years with a brutal military occupation. And we have to recognize that this is the problem and we need to find a solution to it. Uh, Osama, do you believe that the $6 billion that were frozen uh, and then unfrozen in exchange for the American hostages is in Iran played a role in this in, in the in absolutely the... absolutely not absolutely okay. not that 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 is silly and for us to even discuss because well, and, and i only i only the... ask because there are people no, but, that, but, that but, talk but, about. Let me, but let me let me tell you why because they were frozen they were released like a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. this operation has been planned for 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 months it, it was not overnight so let's not let's not just be you know like i'm sorry to say that but this is very shallow the, the situation overseas, the problem is much deeper, much more complex, much 75 years old. Sure. There has been, there has been, this conflict has been brewing for a long, long time. And what we have done as a country, as a leader in the world, the only leader in the world right now, I ha- is, we've done nothing. We've done nothing. I, I have about, I have about 30 seconds left here. Hamas's involvement in this are, are they a, a a player to be trusted and believed in this going forward because look whether it's right wrong or indifferent the the images that are coming out on social media are pretty graphic how do how do they well, uh, how do they how play the, in this going coming, forward how about the images that coming from gaza the bombing the, uh, the indiscriminate bombing and the killing of innocent people look we do not want to go to go there yes Hamas, no sure we first first of all you cannot negotiate with your friend you negotiate with your enemies so if if israel is really serious about ending this cycle of, of, of violence that it should negotiate with the people that they are fighting with us yeah. which is hamas and jihad and the plo these are the people that she should be not with the saudis not with the iranians yep these are not the people that she should be negotiating with. Oh, Os- Israel needs to sit down with the Palestinians and find a solution. Osama Sablani, thank you so much for your time. Always appreciate thank talking you. with you. Thank you. We'll, we'll talk again soon. 800-859-0957. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. All right, if you're on the line, hold tight. I see you there. I will get to you momentarily. But let's take a look at it from maybe a different perspective. This has been a a bloody 48 hours, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Rabbi Asher Lopatin is with the Jewish Community Relations Council and executive director of the American Jewish Committee uh, and joins us. Rabbi, good to have you. 
Hey, thanks so much. It's uh, it's a tough day, but it's good to be on your show. Talk to me a little bit about your reactions when this started coming out. The, the, this this flare up is is one we haven't seen to this extent in a very long time in the region. Yeah, you know, it started out well. First, we got the news on a holy day on Saturday morning, which was a uh, the day of uh, celebration, and then it spilled into celebrating with the Torah, Simchat Torah. So just horrible to get this news then. And, uh, you know, it's, um, this is, un- I don't want to say unprecedented. This was, Holocaust was a precedent for this. Uh, but this is the worst spilling of Jewish blood since the Holocaust on a single day, you know, 800. Uh, and so many citizens, so many uh, civilians, children, grandparents, little babies. Uh, it's just un. So it's just, you know, I think we were in shock. Honestly, we were in shock. Um, there were tears even in synagogue. And then it's uh, the entire Jewish community here and around the world is just devastated. Um, and, uh, and just how could any group do something like, you know, targeting 260 young Jewish people at a concert, murdered, slaughtered, uh, you know, door to door slaughtering. Uh, and I guess what is very upsetting is that this has not shocked anyone to say, wait, this was wrong. Like they, like people who are pro-Palestinian, the Arab American community, the Muslim community, I hopefully quietly, but there are even rallies in support of this. And you would think that people would say, okay, we, we disagree about Israel, Palestine, Palestinians, what the solution is, but – this is unacceptable. So there's a little bit of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm devastated, but I'm stunned still that people can can be putting up signs in support of this. And uh, and yet we're strong with Israel and Israel will prevail. And the Jewish people have prevailed through we, the Holocaust and mm-hmm. through this. Um, we, we talked with Osama Sablani, the, the publisher of the Arab American News, just a couple of minutes ago. And, and and he seemed to indicate the vacuum that was created when the Oslo Accord was signed, that the Americans didn't do enough to bridge the gap in 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 being the leader in the room to 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 ensure that there would be peace going forward. What is the solution here? And, and I think that's the 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 75 year old million dollar question. Uh, how how do we get to a state of peace in, in the region? Well, it's certainly not asking America to become more involved. Like, how did that work out with Afghanistan or Iraq or Libya, uh, America getting involved? How did that work out with Vietnam? You know, it doesn't work out. You can't have a uh, you can have America being supportive, but they can't impose a certain peace that will last. And frankly, it was a major mistake for Israel to disengage. I mean, at the time I was in favor, like, let's get out of Gaza. Let's get that's. There were some Jewish communities in Gaza that were there. Let's, they were taken apart, and it was all left for the Palestinians who lived in Gaza. Uh, under the Palestinian Authority, then let's have a, a democratic election. Hamas got elected, and that's where everything – it was a disaster. And what an opportunity for Palestinians to have run their own area. With the, the Israeli army got out, and – it turned into a, a prison. Two million Palestinians are imprisoned by Hamas. 
not by Israel. By the way, there's an opening on the Egyptian side also. But 30, you know, Israel was accepting workers and 30,000 people were going to work in Israel over the last few years. It wasn't a prison. It was a but they were prisoners of Hamas. And I wish people that care about Palestinians that are pro-Palestinian. I'm a Zionist who is pro-Palestinian also. Talk about Hamas holding them prisoner, destroying uh, any potential. So really pulling out of Gaza, unfortunately, did not work. Um, and, you know, I, I have to say that people that end the occupation of the West Bank, end the occupation. Well, do you want Israel to pull out of it and the same thing will happen in the West Bank and it'll be even worse? So um, I don't think it's not America not being involved. I think it's unfortunately Palestinian leadership not wanting peace with Israel and not being able to live with a Jewish state in that region. And we're seeing other Arab countries, uh, you know, the UAE, Morocco, even Sudan, Bahrain, Jordan, Egypt, are saying we can live with a Jewish state in our midst, but not yet the Palestinians with their leadership. Have you heard from members of the congregation? Are, are, are there... Are there members there? Are do do people have loved ones there? What have you heard yeah. from members of your congregation? Well, uh, I just had a, con- a conversation with my wife, Rachel. We have our son uh, who is studying in Israel for his gap year uh, mm. for college, and uh, we, uh, you know, are really on the same side that he we want him to stay there as long as he's safe and we feel he's safe. He's just studying outside of Jerusalem, so. We are proud of him being there and other people that have, uh, yes, that have children that are in the army in Israel, mm-hmm. um, that are studying there. Mostly they're proud. They're worried. They're so worried. I just spoke to my uh, sister-in-law who has a child in the army. Um, you know, they don't even know where they are, but they are proud. And yet uh, then I've spoken to other dear friends whose kids they think we're kidnapped and are in Gaza somewhere. And 23-year-old just got out of the Israeli army three months ago and was at that concert. Mm. It seems like he was not killed. It seems like he's only a prisoner in Gaza. And, uh, you know, I don't know. He was taken? He was taken. They have all the indications are that he was in uh, kidnapped. If anyone has heard of, of Hirsch Goldberg, you know, uh, Hirsch Poland. Um, and, uh, you know, so yes, there's so many that are connected and, you know, so many American citizens and, you know, American Israel, we're, we're connected. And frankly, you know, uh, we could be Palestinians, Israelis, Jews, Muslims, Arabs, we should all be connected and all be sharing society. And it's just so tragic that Hamas really is, uh, controlled of course, by Iran, uh, just can't tolerate this. And it's it's a tragedy for the, of course, for the Jewish people and the Jewish state, but it's also a tragedy for the Palestinian people that 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 this thing is going to prevent peace for a long time. Have you have you been heartened by the White House's response to this? I mean, we we have seen we've seen a number of airlines uh, halting travel to the area, which means no flights in, no flights out. Um, We've seen some some countries in Latin America sending airplanes to go get people out. Um, right. Have have you do you feel like the the United States government is doing enough not only to aid Ukraine or excuse me to aid uh, Israel mm-hmm. but right. but to aid people our American citizens that are there that that need help? 
Yeah, well, uh, I mean, El Al, the Israeli airline, and some other airlines are flying people, and we know people are at the airport waiting okay. to go out on El Al. So, um, and uh, we, we have friends whose kids do want to leave, and they are leaving. Uh, but I think, yeah, the White House has been very supportive and very strong with Israel on this occasion. Um, and uh, I think that this is a time to say this is just unacceptable, this kind of, you know, again, there can be a whole negotiations and, and how you deal with the national aspirations of the Palestinian people and the Jewish people and lots of conversations. But I think the White House has been very clear that Israel needs to defend its citizens and can't afford 800, you know, which is the equivalent of 40,000 Americans being killed in one day just based on the population of Israel, um, that, that is unacceptable. So I think the administration has uh, moved its carrier fleet closer to Israel, um, is sending in any weapons necessary that Israel needs. Uh, so I think in this case, both in America and, frankly, the, um, the networks, mainstream networks, uh, Fox News, CNN, have been really telling the truth of the horrors of of this terrible terrorist incursion. Mm. Uh, Rabbi Asher Lopatin, thank you so much. Uh, we will continue to, to to pray for people in Israel, obviously, but um, it's a tough day and a, a, certainly a tough weekend on a on a special day uh, for the Jewish people. Thank you so much. Your your prayers and your thoughts mean so much. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Appreciate the time. Uh, 800-859-0957. We will get to your calls, your texts coming up next. All right, right to your phone calls, 800-859-0957. Let's go to Matt in Gibraltar. Hello, Matt. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for taking the call. You got it. When you had the uh, the guy from the Arab News uh, on, he blames it on Israel, and that's, you know, been going on forever. But nobody gets to the point, why is Israel occupying his territory, so they say? And what happened was 75 years ago, the Arab states all attacked Israel, trying to drive it to the ocean and and kill every Jew that was there. The Israelis fought back, took that territory, and um, they're holding it for strategic reasons as well. But but they're occupying it because that's where Hamas and all these terrorist groups are launching attacks into Israel. So it, it's, you know, they're blaming it on the Israelis. Um, they had a chance to have a two-state um, solution. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, they want to blame it on the U.S. We didn't hold their hands through it. You know, it, no matter what we do, it's going to be our fault. Yeah, and Matt, that's, and where, I, that's where I just, I disagree. Um, I, you know, part of me believes that, that Palestine and Israel, I don't know that they'd want a solution. Like, it's not our job to hold your hand through it. Like this is a much, it's it's a much bigger issue than just, than just well we didn't do our job or we didn't play our role. Well, if I if if I on a personal note, I had a a neighbor and we got along well. Real quick, Matt, Muslim from the Middle East, and he said it's like if the American Indians would look at the Europeans living here and say we're occupying their territory. They would be justified in doing suicide bombings and start killing us, and that's he said he agree would agree with that. Yeah, because we are occupying what you know they would say would be their native land. Yeah. All right, Matt. I appreciate yeah. the call. Thank you, Paul in Brighton. Hello, Paul. 
Chris, let me just underline two points that yeah. your guests made. Uh, Republicans wanted to point the finger at the Biden administration, and the two points that uh, your last guest said the Biden administration has been very supportive, and the other guest said that frozen Iranian assets had nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. But let's look at it this way. Uh, it's a fine time to uh, have Beach the Speaker of the House during a 45-day re- continuing resolution mm-hmm. when we haven't even allocated the, the regular annual $3.8 billion in foreign aid to Israel as it is, let alone any emergency aid, and we can't. As a matter of fact, the only thing we could possibly do for Israel right now would fall under the executive powers of the president. And then what are the Republicans in the House going to do? Blame him for that when they can't even make a move because they don't have a speaker? So I'm thinking of a great Jewish teacher once said, you know, before you remove the speck from your neighbor's eye, remove the log from your own eye. Well, Paul, I I, I don't disagree. I think there's uh, the, 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 the Republicans. I said this when Kevin McCarthy was ousted. They don't have their their affairs in order. The Republicans in the House are an absolute mess. And and yeah, and now look where we're at. You don't have real leadership in place. And what are we supposed to do now? I I, I believe the president should should be a, a little more upfront with this. Um, he I don't think he has been as much as I would like him to be. But this is a tough situation, and and he has thrown his the, the weight of the of the United States behind Israel. We'll see where that lands. Paul, thank you. Mike in Clinton Township. Hello, Michael. Hey, um, Chris. This is uh, Subway Mike again. Um, I uh, I was there in '73. Mm-hmm. We were we were uh, I was on a, I was a Marine and I was attached to the Sixth Fleet. We were on standby for 80 days, and our job was to um, host. Um, the refugees in any kind of uh, evacuation mm. and we were on standby for 80 days but uh, they had a real president back then they don't now <laughs> and uh, they negotiated um, you know Kissinger was uh, negotiating that mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Nixon was a president um, and uh, you know they th- this has gone on for a long time that yeah was- yeah, this has been going I mean, on for decades and, and decades and decades. And 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 this is this is the biggest flare up we have seen in many years. Um it's not surprising necessarily, but it is it it is none less shocking. And I, I think when you consider the time and age we're in, in an age of social media where we can actually see what's happening, we actually see the horrors and the atrocities that are being committed, um, I, I think that makes things it makes things it makes things a lot more real for people. I think, Mike, appreciate the call. Tommy is in Troy. Hello, Thomas. Yeah, hello. You know what? Um, we know where these guys are at. You know, these guys. You know, these Hamas, these cowards. That's what they are. They're just cowards, terrorists. We know exactly where they're at. We have the technology. We know we have bombs that can go underground because they hide. Like the cowards they are, they go into these tunnels underground and just go and hide. Take some hostages. You know what? Like Nikki Haley said, it's time to finish it. That's what the former governor of South Carolina said. She came out and said, it's time. Do you hear what she said? Yeah, well, and that's the that, that's 
Finish them. Thank you, Tom. That's the same. That's the same message that that Benjamin Netanyahu has. Is it's time to destroy, to destroy Hamas, and that's the only way that they're going to be able to to work this thing out. Real quick, Adam in Plymouth. Hello, Adam. Hi. Uh, my brother used to have a saying. He said they it's, this conflict's going on forever. They should bring them, bring all the Jews out of Israel, put them on our southern border, let them guard our border, and give them all the land they need down there to prosper. And then people will complain because they improve the property. But at least you wouldn't have let the whole Middle East do what they're going to do, and all the Jews could be right on our southern border. All right, I mean, Adam, thank you. Plus, Appreciate that. I uh, Not a lot of holy land <laughs> down there on the southern border. Hello, Ken. <laughs> Do I want to come in on Can't this? Bra- do I, I, do I really want to walk in on this? It's not great, man. <laughs> I know, man. It's not good. I know. What a it's, strange It's, it's not good. It, it's not good. This could go one of two ways. It's going to go bad. Bad or worse. It's going to go worse. It could go one, bad or worse. It's two well, ways now you've got go. Hamas saying that they're going to start executing hostages. Right. And this can go it's bad not or good. worse. This, it's go not, bad this or is going to get very, very ugly before right. it gets any semblance exactly. of better. And it could be a bunch of different people dragged into this and countries dragged into this. This is a. It's and I just said it a second ago. It's like to be able to see this, you know, like if you're in like Vietnam or I mean, we of course you saw things after the fact, right? But to see things in the now, like moments ago, you got people being drugged through the streets and bus stops being shot up. It it is it is horrifying. Yeah, it's it's really sad state of affairs. This is going to be epic. To the proportion that this is the first one where, like you said, you see images immediately. See they see them on your phone. The same you see, thing with there Russia and Ukraine. To see. No, yeah. well, right, but but you're seeing the effects of right. war right. in real first time. hand, in real time, and it's, that's never happened before. No, it's in not this good. conflict, and it's in this good. one is a worldwide right. conflict. So just got to be careful. Like yeah. I, they were showing pictures yesterday of something, um, the Parliament of uh, Iran or something celebrating something, but it was a picture from like 2018 or 20. It was like years ago, and Can't they put it that. up like today, uh, like it was last night. You who know, did that? It was just on the on um, on Twitter, and I'm just Shame. saying. And they had to finally come and put a disclaimer on about yeah. it. But, People don't read them. People, don't, you, you got to be careful because one incident, cause, yeah, cause it's going to set thing. something off. Yeah, that's right. So be careful what you read and see, people, and 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 get fact. Go All right, you guys are right. talking about this. We're coming talking up. about that. We're going to have Derek Lalonde on. We're going to talk to the oh, Motown Museum president. We're going to talk about um, okay. the Motown Museum, and we're going to um, Alex Anzalone from the Lions will be on today. Oh, good. Four thirty. Uh, look forward to hearing All that. Right. All right, Mitch Alman, the crew coming up next to do it for me. See you tomorrow, same time, same place.